All right. Now All right. the stalkers are gonna. Whoa, my false, my Neil Young like falsetto is causing my dog to bark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is already off the rails, but hey, man, I no, want to thank you. That oh. was a perfect sonic pairing. Come on, Southern man, <laughs> running man. They both end in man. It rhymes. Oh, I was just thinking about your dog. Look, I want to thank you for uh, going above and beyond and thinking of uh, songs to sing. I don't like them, but our audience does. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, no I one. Just by the way, people mm. often comment about things they do like. No one's ever mentioned that they like that Kings of Kings starts with song parodies. So I don't think anyone does. Or I don't I think, think we can do. prove that. You can't prove that. And now it's too late because by saying this, I'm fishing for it. They're going to, you're fishing so for it. So now right. it's pointless. So we'll yep. officially never know if this was a good idea. Running yep. man gonna sing <laughs> opera. Now see, now you got me doing it. A- oh, that's just the effect of Neil Young on the brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is Kings of King. I'm Michael Swain, Ooh. one of your kings. Yes. Yes, self-acclaimed kings. I'm the other king, Abe Epperson. Hi, everybody. Yes, yes king. You're crowned, my yep. liege. And <laughs> this is a show where we talk about the adapted works of Mr. Stephen King. The uh, I mean, I already had a podcast where we always started it by saying because he's the best writer in the world, and that was about Kervonegut. So I feel like that slot is taken. But let's say the most successful writer in the history of human language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that I would say, yeah, yeah, most adapted. Also, most adapted. Does he beat Tom Clancy? Uh, He's got it. I don't have that knowledge on <laughs> All right. at my disposal. I mean, give me some Google time, but sure. like, it's super not important to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're not about Google time. We're about analysis time. So analysis. let's uh, let's get into it. You probably guessed, but we're talking about. The Running Man today. Abe, I forgot to jot down the year. When was Running Man? Uh, Running Man was 1987. Thank you. That info I know you usually have. So 1987's Running Man, based on one of the so-called Bachman books, um, Stephen King. We've explained it previously, so listen to previous episodes. But a pseudonym of Stephen King, so it counts. Uh, It was a Richard Bachman novella, although fun fact, the person who optioned the rights to the novella did not know that Richard Bachman was Stephen King. That was not public knowledge yet in 87 or six or five or whenever it was optioned. So mm-hmm. uh, I just think that's cool that it technically stood on its own merits. Like the, this no- sci-fi dystopia novella that King wrote in his spare time and put out under a pseudonym got optioned for film, not on the name Stephen King. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. There's a there's a few things about that. I think this is uh, to kind of segue. Uh, I can this feel is an you. interesting one where I think yeah. that the uh, novel uh, begs comparison, at least from a plot synopsis point of view, uh, relative to the movie. Right, uh, right, right. And so, in order to do that, I kind of want to take us to uh, under the dome. Our best guess puts the dome at twenty thousand feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? Can't spell dome without do. That or, that, that is true. Or me. Or me. You can pronounce do it do me for a cheap laugh. Try it at home. Try it with your friends and family. Um, so okay. this is the elevator synopsis of yep. the movie. 
Uh, and I want to just throw not, not let's not itemize the differences because that's not what this podcast is about. It's about the film adaptations, but I wanted to pinpoint a few different uh, deviations uh, the movie makes from the novel. Um, I was also going to yeah. do this. You do it though. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Running Man, the movie. Running uh, Man. Sorry. It's a parody. <laughs> it's an action thriller. Uh, ben Richards is the name of a guy uh, who's played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, who is an innocent cop who's sen- sentenced uh, to prison by breaking out of prison. Uh, and he be- he's on the run now. Uh, he is uh, basically sentenced to a running man game show run by the Games Network, which is like a, he- like a hegemony of... Uh, entertainment uh, and the number one show on television is called the running man, which uh, basically features uh, criminals uh, who are sentenced. It's a part of the uh, it's part of the penal system, I assume um, because everything is government entertainment and government has been synthesized in this world. Uh, And uh, criminals run around while selected hunters, uh, who play larger than life like roles, kind of like American gladiators, uh, hunt them in an elaborate uh, underground arena. Another fun fact, quick injection. Uh, American gladiators actually explicitly, at least partially inspired by The Running Man. One of the creators of that mm. series has said that on the record. Oh, it's so oh, tasty. Yeah. Running There's Man so gave me the idea for American gladi- gladiators, and it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's totally yeah. makes sense. Uh, another important aspect of the movie is that the futuristic audience uh, is one that is clamoring for blood. Oh, they're uh, fickle, though. They'll turn on the, you. They'll turn on you. <laughs> they're also populist. Uh, and they it's, are. Yeah, all let's big be TV honest. Show. They're a part of it. They're the South Park townspeople rabble, essentially. Mm-hmm. 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 And in typical, um, in typical Steven D'Souza, who's the writer uh, of the screenplay, uh, who did like Commando and uh, a lot of the Arnold films that uh, feature kind of the same story. He wrote basically the same story over and over, which is essentially that not only does Arnold spring free from his, you know, the shackles of his imprisonment uh, in the crazy reality that is the world that's painted. He also uh, writes some wrongs along the way. And the uh, American brand of vigilante justice uh, proves that to be correct. And they kind of do a takedown of the show itself by the end. And Ben wins. uh, And yeah. Meanwhile, uh, or I guess during the movie, you'll probably, if you haven't seen it, it's most remembered by uh, insane murders and over-the-top villains that usually have names like a video game, uh, including Dynamo and Fire. Including Fireball. literally Professor Sub-Zero, who they just <laughs> call Sub-Zero, who's literally like a very Plane famous Zero. video game character. Yeah, yeah. More like uh, Plane Zero. A perfect, he's like, ah, I wish he had like retorts back. Is that something I wish we had? in convention is that someone says like more like plane zero and then he he retorts well actually i'm a professor ah! <laughs> you know like i want one more retort from the villain you only have that in comedies as an intentional undermining of the trope you want it right. non-ironically which something we can discuss a little later i would like it if they didn't comedy if they didn't quite hear what he said 
because they're in like yeah. a factory with fire and sparks and chains jangling. Oh. And they're like, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, blood out the neck. I was thinking about while I was watching this, because this is like the probably like eighth time I've seen this movie. Oh, to be honest, my first time. My life. First time. Uh, and I was thinking about this time. I was like, how would they microphone this? Because, hey, Abe, you went to school for this kind of thing. You know kind of about how productions solve production sound. And they're doing a live television show. There's no ADR. So in the hypothetical reality, uh, how would they be getting sound? And I thought that they would have to have hiding in the rafters just a bunch of people with shotgun microphones all along. <laughs> Like as they pass along, there's a little volley of microphones. This is not that interesting. Well, but it's you mean literally about. the challenge, the technical challenges of the fact that most of the scenes are running. Mm -hmm. They're based on going down a length of hallway. It's like yeah. most of the sequences blocking wise. I think this is not under that, the dome. <laughs> yes, this is not under the dome. I'm getting grumpy okay. face. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so talk about the book now. Talk, yeah. So in yeah. the novel, Ben Richards, uh, his daughter needs medicine and his wife has resorted to prostitution outside in the world. This is just normal shit. And he signs up for the show to raise money. He's not a prisoner. He does this of his own volition because it's a great way, like winning the lottery to get some money. Um, so he's putting his life on the line for his daughter and his wife, you know, and her dignity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in the movie, he's a framed police officer who's brought to the game after he breaks out of prison. In the book, um, it's a thing where you can volunteer and he's just so mm -hmm. desperate for money that he volunteers. <clears throat> in the novel, he travels all around the world and sends back footage. So he is a participant. He's more like, like the amazing worker. race. Yeah. yeah. He sends back footage and gets paid daily along with like things like how many days he survived, how many kills he's gotten uh, to accumulate more cash. But in the movie, it's only about survival and it's restricted to this kind of a death like death race 2000 or escape from New York esque arena. Limited arena. It lasts three mm -hmm. hours. Battle Royale style. Yeah. And just so you know where that lands in terms of the, you know, timeline, Death Race 2000, which was also popular, was in 1975. Uh, I think a lot of the visual aesthetics that are uh, influenced in this movie would pro should probably be owed to Blade Runner, which was in 1982, and Escape from New York, which has very similar premise um, and or at least the fun and games and the mechanizations that make the screenplay work. All the way to the end and the act three, when we have our denouement of like, what's the resolution and how does our, how does Snake Plissken like succeed? It, it's all approached that same way. And that was 1981, six years before this. So this is a well, very. And like that, the trope goes all mm -hmm. the way back to Roman gladiators. And probably oh, before sure. that, yeah. it's the trope of putting bugs in a jar or putting some people under a dome and seeing mm -hmm. who would win in a fight. It's one of the most primal mm -hmm. ancient storytelling tropes, I think, in storytelling, which is yeah. just an interesting side note that it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, and they, and it's interesting to me that this trope the history of this trope as a mimetic idea in storytelling is one of the most clear and well-documented like genealogies of ideas. Mm -hmm. Everyone mm -hmm. knows what it's about, even in this movie, which is a relatively straightforward, let's say, or 
dumb, <laughs> let's also say, movie, mm. meaning like it doesn't ask the audience to like follow a lot of sophisticated nonsense. Even mm. they are like, we're like gladiators. Like everyone's fucking aware of the trope of uh, corrupt society using the mm. spectacle of violence to keep you distracted. And we love watching it. You know, it's the WWE. It's gladiatorial combat. Yeah. It's been around. <laughs> yeah. And uh, another one I want to throw out is Logan's Run, uh, because yep. specifically dystopic uh, action movies or dystopic tales have this tendency, much like Fahrenheit 451 or 1984. Uh, you have these. I'm going to just be a worker bee. Uh, and that's my, that's where we start our movie. Right. One I'm of his lines. Regular uh, guy. I'm not into then, politics. I'm into survival. By the end of the dystopic tale, uh, he, he or she is the salvation or has the kernel of the idea, or usually they resolve and the revolution has begun. Um, and that's something that is, so it's kind of pulling from two spaces, but ultimately they play well, nice. They play with each other very nicely, and uh, it's been kind of done before. It have, it's um, been done before, but they do play well in the sense mm -hmm. that we imagine, and I think somewhat rightly so, if you see violence as at all like to be avoided, which most humans mm -hmm. instinctively do, um, we see the fact that our society just does, by and large, public shootings aside, like stories about violence like an action movie is more humane of a societal outcropping than gladiatorial combat was so mm -hmm. if we ever went back to real gladiatorial combat society would have to suck pretty hard for that to happen so you see a lot of stories where it's like how yeah. bad would things have to <clears throat> get before we started doing televised right. gladi gladiatorial right. combat yeah and the two distinctions i made with the novel that i want us to just keep in our head going uh, you know, f further, most importantly, that Ben, Ben Richards origin story is that he is in the novel, just a regular guy. He's not a s hulking Superman like Arnold. Well, which in fact, is, of he's course, scrawny. He's described as scrawny and like yeah. pipsqueak. Do you have anything else for under the dome or do you want to go to skeleton crew? Uh, yeah, I think I just wanted to sort of recap it really succinctly by saying like the novel is clearly actually trying to be a legitimate, I think it's closest to Fahrenheit 451 because it's all about state censorship and fascist censorship of <clears throat> and propaganda wing of the government. Uh, that is it's correct. King's like riff on that combined with, as we said, the gladiatorial combat idea, which is, you know, so rich you have everything from battle royale to hunger games to everything Abe name dropped um whereas uh, the movie is still on the same themes but it's there's no cleaner comparison than two things that it like uh specifically inspired both gladi uh, american gladiators but also smash tv the famous the dual stick shooter arcade game which is basically this mm. premise but like just neon fucking mutants in the garbage fight. Escape from New York, very similar vibe. The movie is a lot more garish and a lot more, this is an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. So they're just different, beasts of a different nature. So we're going to be talking about the movie. That's all you hear about the book. But if you can imagine, the book is a little more grounded. And the other main difference, as Abe pointed out, is the contest takes place all over the world and lasts an indefinite amount of time. This, this movie version really added 
it's an arena. It's like the fourth Harry Potter or Hunger Games or what have you. It's a little mm-hmm. slalom of traps and shit. But yeah, that's all I got. Let's get into it. Let's get into Skeleton Crew. Something in the mist. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. This segment's about the creative team and mm-hmm. behind the scenes or any uh, trivia we want to mention. Mainly we their do bones. What we, mainly the bones. Mainly that we, we talk find about in their the bones. ground. Yeah, we, <laughs> we pull out. You found any keep- good bones? Yeah, you know, I found a few good bones in this one. Um, the first one, I think, is mm-hmm. we like to start, as all things start in this podcast, with King. Uh, you know, King. obviously, with the big uh, digression with the protagonist, uh, King's not going to like this one. So this falls in the category uh, well, that we've seen out time and time again. An Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger action movie. Yeah. <laughs> he don't like this one. Uh, and it's mainly because of Arnold. And I yeah. think that, uh, I mean, we're going to get into it, but I think he has a very, very good argument for this one. Like, not that he doesn't have a good argument for other ones for not liking it. We, we covered Kubrick and, you know, like the shining ordeal mm-hmm. and there's validity on both sides in that argument to me because of what's the nature of the um the tale itself this one is pretty clearly like there's a reason that the genre of uh you know dystopic um thrillers or adventures um kind of follow this paradigm and it's not that it doesn't work that the running man doesn't work. And sometimes we want to see like Arnold do the Arnold thing. But at this point in time, what Arnold's doing, what Steven Souza is doing, uh, and the director, Paul Michael Glazier, uh, is doing who, by the way, is Sarsky, uh, or Starsky, if you didn't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I what he's saying. You mean for. Starsky and Hutch? Yes. No. <laughs> uh, He's the director of this film. Oh, That's the actor who is Starsky yes. is the director. Yes. That's bizarre. Uh, okay. They're Bizarre-ski. doing a complete. They're doing a completely different thing here. They're 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 dipping into uh, an aspect uh, that is. They're going for something else. Just say wanna- they're trying to capitalize on the Terminator. They're trying to. They're. they're I mean, that's absolutely. It's right, a cut rate Terminator swing. It's, it's a interesting swing to me. Terminator. Yeah, and I'll save it for it. Uh, but like, I think that there's a good argument for that. So let's just, uh, I'm going to leave it at that and just say that, you know, obviously, uh, Stephen King didn't like this because they had issues with protagonists, but it's not protagonist deep. It goes on to what's the tale trying to say and why Stephen King is absolutely right. Um, well, any writer who had any serious point or was trying to write a dystopia, that's mm -hmm. actually like a societal warning or something they're really pissed about. And King Mm -hmm. said, this book was written by a young, angry man who was in love with the art and craft of writing. He also said he right. wrote it incredibly quickly. It took like two weeks instead of his usual three, four months per novel. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that bit about being a very angry young man makes me think he probably really cared about, like there's a great Elvis Costello song, Radio Radio, about the same thing, about government censorship and propaganda. And I'm sure he was really genuinely pissed about those things and very... Uh, Tom Ryman about it and like principled about it. So anyone who cares about what they're writing is not going to think the ideal version is a bunch of WWE stars are going to take the idea and run with it. And uh, I yeah, mean, yeah. this movie features, we'll get into it, but 
you got to say, as someone who's watching this for the first time, there is a clear breakout stalker and it is Dynamo, the opera singing, (laughs) like obese dude with LED lights that look literally exactly like lightning power yeah lightning yeah he shoots lightning he shocks you with his opera well he sings opera and drives around in a little opera car it's just insane and we'll save it for it but my point is obviously an author of stephen king's pedigree is not going to think this was good (laughs) right right uh by the way did you know that uh er, i I believe his name erlen van liet did you yeah, uh, he's a real famous opera singer. I know he's a singer. He <laughs> say he sang for this role. That's why yep. he was cast. Fucking not the only singer in this movie. Uh, Mick Fleetwood. Now uh, we're talking about the bones. I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah. Mick Star Fleetwood Trek: The Next Generation Mick. regular it's Mick Eve. Fleetwood. <laughs> so okay, so I want to unpack this. It is definitely hinted it in the movie that Mick Fleetwood plays himself in the movie. This yeah. movie takes place in 2017, I believe, which is a whole love it. It's vague. Uh, it's between 17 and 19, depending on how long he was the on the movie, run. Yeah. He plays a resistance leader named Mick and named Mick. So he's his own name. He's British. Uh, and when he, when he meets Arnold, he says, you're one of the cops who locked up all my friends, burned my songs. That's right. Cause Rhiannon will bring down a government. That's, yes. the, that's really yes. the lyrics are too incendiary. The sultry, the sultry tones of Stevie Nicks can't be had in this universe. The only song uh, is running man. man. Um, yeah. Uh, and his assistant is a young Dweezil Zappa. Named Stevie Mm -hmm. in honor of Stevie Nicks. And I am just really, uh, that warms my little engine because Frank Zappa is very, very out there as far as people Mm -hmm. I respect the most in the world of art and music. Um, So yeah, you got Mick and Dweezil leading the resistance. Although again, I don't know why they would have arrested every member of Fleetwood Mac except Mick Fleetwood got away. And I don't know. And I don't know why he can, can, he can survive in a post apocalypse. I want to know at what Uh, point they got around to censoring Fleetwood Mac songs. Cause that's just hilarious. There's so many more songs that a government would need to crack down on first. Yeah. It's just like, fuck off Nazi punks, wet ass pussy. Like you're not going to start with, Uh, he's not not the only entertainers in this movie known for a different uh, media. Uh, their big dance number uh, at the start and in over the credits was uh, choreographed by Paula Abdul. Straight I just thought that that's so. It's like you got a pop star, you got multiple pop stars. I don't know. Is like uh, th- th- there's something going. Hey, I got on one, there. buddy. I, think- I got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit me the announcer it. of the Running Man game show is voiced by Roger Bumpus, also known as the voice of Squidward. Oh, how about that? Yeah. So there's a lot of random people here. Uh, oh, just being, it's a random junk a drawer of, of a movie. Yeah. This is a part of the parody, right? Because they're doing oh, something. Oh, speak to that. You said it's a parody. What would you consider it a parody of? All right. All right. <laughs> Well, what are you, are you being for real right now? <laughs> yeah, because I don't think it's cognizant enough to be a parody. Like I don't, it didn't strike me as Let's Paul Verhoeven. Let's leave this for later. But Let's are you saying it's later. a Paul Verhoeven-esque satire of Gar- like a Garish satire? Is that your contention, sir? Yes. 
Okay. Let's finish Skeleton uh, Crew then. And get I'm not to saying it. it's good, but yeah. Okay. Let's not get into it. Uh, the, uh, another thing I want to bring up is that this movie is currently being uh, ad- adapted again. This the the novel the novel the novella I guess the novella um, into a series or a movie is a movie. See, and it would make a great like limited run HBO Max series. Okay. I think. I think yeah. I mean, limited series are in right now, man. Uh, the Snyder Cut just came out like today. Shut that up. That should have just been a. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> guess who's at the helm though? Guess who's at the helm? Who's directing? Of this Running Man. No, of the adaptation that's going to be made in like oh the new one twenty two yeah, or twenty three or whatever. Um, I don't know. Colin Trevorrow. No, that would be horrible. That's um, a horrible guess. Keep the lead on. singer of the Shins. You got it. It's Edgar Wright. <laughs> it's Ed. Whoa, Edgar yep. Wright is doing a Running Man. Oh, Hell yeah. I think that and oh. he's he's publicly said uh, one of the big points of it is to bring it more in tune with Stephen King's vision. A fucking so course. What else get, would it be? That's the only thing to do with it if you're going to do yeah, it again. Well, it's it, it's a tricky thing because Edgar Wright is a part of that you know um, '80s '90s art tour that like really loved movies like this. Oh, he could do a garish, fast-paced, funny one where the kills are ridiculous and it would be mm-hmm. phenomenal. But I'm just saying, sure. I think Edgar Wright tries to give himself challenges and it's I think clearly, so. I would have predicted that that's the way he would I go. I predicted too, because most of his uh, main characters are like, no, you know, they're like, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're real Not. schlubs. And that really works for Stephen King's uh, kind of vision of vision it. of it. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying on the side, all of his characters who are that they also love things like, you know, martial arts movies and Arnold movies. And they think it's awesome. So him being him having the restraint, I hope, uh, to not just do like, yeah, but running man, the movie is like awesome. And therefore, I just want to make all that. I want to pay homage to that stuff. I think he's probably going to do his own thing uh, and play, pay more homage to uh, Stephen King's version. Cool. That's my assumption. Speaking of IMDb trivia, there was one more piece that interested me that I think belongs in Skeleton Crew. And then I'm done. But it's uh, just that a lot of people said that Richard Dawson, who the antagonist, the guy who runs the Running Man show, whose name is mm-hmm. something Killian, Damon Killian, of course. Yeah. Damon. Demon kill. Demon man. kill. <laughs> um, but Damon is loosely based on the uh, host and executive producer of Family Feud, Richard Dawson. And a lot of people say that he really was like that, like the kind of guy to say, uh, oh, you're doing great. So, and then walk around the corner and tell your assistant, get that guy fired by the end of the day and shit like so that. So you're, you're being, just to be clear, you're saying that the actor himself was like this. Yeah, exactly. When he hosted yeah. Family Feud, supposedly. So it's kind of like a self-own. Yeah. Or, or maybe or unaware. In own. 1987, society was still toxic enough that he could proudly be like, that's right. I make the workplace intolerable. Yeah. I can. Fuck you. I bet it's, I'm I bet admitting it's a, it. <laughs> like a George C. Scott situation. Yeah. I bet it is. He's quite um, a character. Oh, yeah. you mean he's an asshole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a good asshole. <laughs> sure, man. Sure. Uh, I think that's it. So. No, this is it. Is it. Yeah. Well, come with me. You'll float too. 
this is where we talk about most of the stuff we want to talk about. Symbolism, the themes, the scene work, stuff that pops off the top of our sim, sim, symbolism. Yeah. So now is when you would explain your thesis of why it's a parody and what it's a conscious parody of. Okay. So the difference in the film and the novel, uh, it, one of the big things that gives the ending less bite King's novel is kind of aimed to be a biting satire of human indecency, right? Like you talked about violence earlier the audience clamors for blood and the TV show kind of gives it to him. Oh yeah. And we, it's all, oh, sorry, go ahead. It's all encapsulated by killing's final speech in the movie, uh, where he's basically saying, we're just giving them what they want. Uh, but we get a scene between just Arnold and Killian, that kind of, um, climax in the novel is with like, you feel the masses, like the masses are rioting and raucously demanding his death. Uh, and you really feel the turn. This one, we're disassociated from the move, like the, the actual well, TV show. He doesn't travel the world and we only have a small studio mm -hmm. audience to represent yeah. the world. And that's just, you know, it's part of the way you Budget, felt. baby. Uh, there's another thing to think about, which is the beginning, uh, which is th in the novel – Ben Richards is doing this out of a failure of the society to, to essentially it's impoverishing. We're living in like a Huxleyan version of the future and, and there's no safety net. Yeah. And there's no safety net. And he is, it's the problem is capitalism. Right. He needs medicine he, or capital. I should say, uh, it's just because we're in a capitalist system, I guess. Uh, but like, absolutely. That's what, uh, King's doing. He's saying this guy is a guy who's at his, the end of his rope and he's willing to do that. We should be thinking of that as shameful, right? Uh, in the movie, we sidestep that and make him like one of those cautionary tales of like, like a Rambo. He's also, like, we make him like an angel. Mm -hmm. Like he's one of the greatest living heroes or he tried to stop a massacre just. Yeah. And he's like saying lines like I can't kill an innocent person. It's not right. And shit. Right. Yeah. So he's like, novel, he's an impeachable hero. It's very black and white. Both the movie and the novel are kind of saying the state is wrong. Um, but I think that there's something that, um, King's saying even more so, and he's saying the people are wrong. I think you get that in the movie, but you don't really feel it as much. I mean, it is a very, like, we have multiple times in the movie where it does hint. At one point, I remember uh, Amber is standing with one of her uh, co-workers, and she's, like, looking at Ben Richards, and, and she says something along the lines of, like, uh, look at that. Look at him. He just looks like he could, he's the kind of guy who would just like rape you and murder you and not necessarily in that order. And then she gets kind of aroused. It's first off, that's 1987. Dude. Yes, Let's all, I that's also, that. we should mention, we should have done it in under the dome, but, and it's been bugging me. We did skip the B arc, which is there's a B plot. 
where there's a lady who totally believes in the society, the state's, state's propaganda about how everything's fine. Through her, her interactions with Arnold, she starts to doubt it. She snoops around and helps uncover the fact that the society is corrupt. She gets kidnapped and put in the game with him. She and he are the last survivors. They kiss at the end of the movie. You know, that kind of action, B-Arc. So that's who yeah. he's talking about when he says, Amber, And they give it, it about as uh, much effort as we, as we just did. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, because it's 19, you know, 87. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The, um, she, although I do have like, my point is though, that even although she, I, liked, I like that we have a, an Austrian dude and a Latinx person as the leads. That's kind of cool for 1987. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she was in predator two as well. We have multiple predator peoples in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, also we forgot to shout out, uh, Yafet Koto. Rest in peace, who, Yafet Koto. Rest in yeah. peace, died yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunate. Uh, and he is kind of, uh, the comrade, com- the, you know, of the, uh. He's a black friend who gets fridged. Let's be honest. It's still a 1987 yeah, it's true. action That's movie. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is right. That happens. But, uh, back to my kind of point of, cause even Amber is kind of complicit in her following of the unjust laws, but she does show a willingness to break them. She has black market clothing and says to him, like everyone does it. Yeah. She's a hypocrite. Uh, that's not damning outright. In fact, it makes her sympathetic to real plight, as you mentioned. Uh, and, but she is kind of already deconstructing the society itself in that gesture. Uh, but there's multiple times we like the, her friend that I just mentioned that, the case where she kind of get a, gets roused by that or something like that. And then you cut to the audience members who are just like, kill, kill, kill. There obviously is in the movie, this kind of aspect of the audience is like, everyone is fucked up. This is not a real world because it's not just like, um, you know, a scenario like it's completely Huxleyan or Orwellian where it's just the state doing that in order to control its populace. And Although the you populace have, is represented as us as they're just normal people. These are not normal. People. I think These it's are a, a junction between the rabble being shitty and mm-hmm. state propaganda. Like you have to grant that both the novella and the movie, a yeah. very top level theme is like in the way that, Huxley's uh, Brave New World is about like uh, tearing society using drug therapy and valuing people for mm-hmm. how much they can produce for society. Uh, right. Running Man, both versions are very explicitly about the same thing Fahrenheit 451 is about. He dialed in on uh, media storytelling. That's the thing. It's a, uh, there's, you know, mm-hmm. very uh, bold, big, brash commentary about censorship bad governments changing footage and audio clips to be you're guilty mm-hmm. when you're not uh kafka-esque but i would say a very simple a very simple straightforward sledgehammer form of kafka-esque where it's like the government fully controls you know messaging and changes details to be the opposite of the truth and uh, edits footage and uses deep fakes and blah, blah, blah. And there's actually a line that I liked if you're grading on a curve, so to speak, like it's a good line for this movie, or at least, and this is the point I really want to drive at, it's clear. I think this movie's main strength is its clarity, especially if you compare it to something like an equally broad, loud, dumb Stephen King adaptation we covered recently, Maximum Overdrive. But because mm. Stephen King directed it himself and he doesn't know how to do that, it's not clear. That's where it falls down. This movie, as simple as it is, you always know what's going on. Everything's very clear and measured. Anyway, 
the point is the line I like is ham fisted, but nevertheless, it's uh, a nifty bit of world building when Killian says, get me the justice department entertainment yep. division. Yep. No, wait, scratch that. Get me the president's agent. That's yep. a yep. really yep. Yep. efficient line. If you're going to do flat out exposition that builds like, Oh, I see the exact flavor of dystopia. This is it's a Hollywood dystopia. Like I totally mm-hmm. get it. Um, so I like that mm-hmm. line and I think it encapsulates what, the movie at least is doing, which is so ironic only because this, <laughs> when their bits are like, people want violence and we just give them what they want. Don't you see? And this keeps them from engaging with politics or rising up. This is the opiate of the masses is gladiatorial combat. I mean, it's simple stuff folks, but the, uh, I just mm-hmm. love that. That is what this movie is entirely cast with wrestlers. That's what wrestling also is. And that's like, like, where are you right. getting up your ass about it? That's what action movies are. So who are you to get all high and mighty about? And yes, there's a big difference between gladiatorial combat and the movie, the gladiator, because they were all actors. Everyone knows it's fantasy and they go home alive. <laughs> but okay. I just think it's ironic that an action movie that's a vehicle for professional wrestlers is like, the central point of this movie is why do we love violence so much? <laughs> like, what are you talking no. about? Jesse, the body Ventura, you are, you want us to love violence. That's your whole deal, man. You're part of that <sighs> industry. That's your bread and butter, baby. Yeah. But the difference is it's what, what is King saying in the novel versus what's the movie saying? That's what I'm trying to differentiate between. Right. Yes. And I so, do think that it technically passes the bar as satire. You're right. I just, it's just very it basic. It absolutely does. Yeah, it's just basic satire. That's all. It's pretty basic, but no more basic than Idiocracy or UHF. You know, oh, like it's. UHF is oh, okay. very simple. No, no. I'm saying UHF is like UHF. not a good love movie, UHF. really. But I love it. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Cause of, cause it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was a baby when I watched it. But point, my point is that like King saying that the hunger for violence in, uh, this version also of humanity, we, it wouldn't ex- work if we didn't no want difference it. between yeah. right and wrong. Only the indifference, the indifferent violence prevails. But in his novel, Richard, Richard suicide bombs himself and Killian into the games network headquarters and there's a comment about violence begatting violence. Here, there's both retribution and a, like a celebration of righteous violence. That's two different things. Vigilantism versus, uh, you know, what I think King was trying to do, which is to say, look at how bad we can get. We can just make a hero out of, make a trophy out of violence. Oh, I do That's think- That's a completely different thing. This is literally making a trophy out of violence. Yeah, I do like think there's social commentary in the fact that Arnie doesn't win by disarming the system. He wins by brutally killing the guy that represents the show. And the audience Mm -hmm. doesn't go, we've learned our lesson. Cap exploiting violence for entertainment's sake is wrong. And what we need to do is fix society's ills. No, they just cheer that Arnie is the new guy they like to watch killing stuff. It's just like a who, which panther wins or, you know what I mean? Which like a beast of prey wins. And I think it's very clear that the audience's change of heart is just a fickle change of heart. It's not exactly, but the movie tries to imply that nevertheless, the resistance exists, you know, that they're just the, the, um, 
Just like 1984 has like the mythical resistance. Oh, whatever. There is a, no matter how much they try to crack down, there is a resistance because the human spirit can't be snuffed out, which by the way, I think is very interesting in that the novel 1984, the literal point of it. I mean, the last line is he truly loved big brother and the big reveal of 1984 spoiler alert is that even the resistance is propaganda fabricated by the government to distract That's from what they're really the doing. Real shit. So, yeah. um, basically so, Orwell has no. said he wrote 1984 as a, as an experiment to decide, do you think a system could be built that could so deeply defraud, pervert the human spirit and inclination toward freedom and, and transparency and truth, verifiable truth, that, yeah. that it could perpetuate itself eternally. Can you crush the human spirit completely? And he decided that you can. He decided this system of Eurasia this or is not a or whatever. Though. Yeah, he decided that you can. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying. I think the movie, the running man still decides that you can't because the resistance is shown to be real. And even if we leave in a place where the rabble is fickle mush heads, uh, mm -hmm. the resistance like Mick and Stevie know what's up and they release the incriminating yes. footage that discredits the government. Like I, I get the impression that Arnie's victory at the end of this movie is supposed to mean, which is so dumb and simplistic. The dystopia is over. I guess it'll go back to normal now. Which no, good job. No, no, no. Yeah, you don't think so? Uh, I think it, that is the implication. I think that's the implication, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. But it's not I'm what would happen between the lines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want to point out, I had the same problem with this movie uh, in terms of what it's accomplishing and how specifically how it's changing the text. Uh, because it's making choices to go out of the way, uh, with Stallone's demolition, man, they're both like Huxleyan futures where people are reduced to this like passive egotism, uh, and they, they don't understand how, how irrelevant they are anymore. Um, that's different from the state literally saying like, I, I'm going to hide shit from you and I'm going to deprave you of information. Or deprive you of information. And yet, I will keep the undoctored footage on a disc that's clearly labeled like real footage, and I'll put it in a filing cabinet that is unlocked. <laughs> yes, yes. Her but snooping is so uh, easily so, rewarded. Uh, She's just like, so like, oh, I, and like, <laughs> it's also, first of all, amazing that she could grow what up is? in this society and not understand everything's bullshit until, right. cause people in real life, like people who live in North Korea, they aren't just sheep. Some people are fully indoctrinated, but they do question and doubt the government or assume that whatever the yes. government says is false. They get it. People yes. are smart enough to get what's going on. And but that's uh, my point. It's mm. so funny that Amber is presented as if it never occurred to she, her. Yeah. She's in a dystopia <laughs> right. until now. That's just wild. Right. <laughs> that's kind of, that's what's beautiful about this movie is it's out of the control of actually King and Steven D'Souza. It's actually out of their control because their true the choices collaboration, that those yeah. Those two people are making aside from each other reveals exactly that though. It, it reveals that we are Amber. We are blind. I'm not just talking about the audience in the movie. I'm talking about the audience, mm -hmm. us. Like we are not, <laughs> we are, we're like, oh, let's take this story. Like that's, you know, harkens to like the Island or Logan's run or something like that. And let's talk about how, uh, you know, like it's, we can be 
uh, drawn into our own passivity with these parodies of like media is now this and this is what is important. Uh, and then we go like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's right. It's like in Idiocracy. It's like out my balls or whatever that show is. It's all that stuff. But the choices being made by uh, Glazer and his and his crew and like Cohen and his crew in this movie are essentially going like, yeah, fuck all that. <laughs> fuck all that satire. Let's give them what they want. Oh, the final line of the film is that hits the spot, which is both a right. one liner because he just killed the guy by ramming him through a Coca-Cola mm -hmm. billboard. But right. it also is the it's mission of statement the of the movie is it's also a product placement for Coca-Cola. It it's is wonderful. well, Cadre Cola, but uh, Cadre Cola I love sure. the idea that the final line, the screenwriter put in the movie is like, it's basically puck at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream going like, we hope you enjoyed the movie <laughs> that hit the spot. Yeah. And then they just and kiss and that's the end of the movie. Like, we hope right, you liked that. And I love that it's during this era, once again, Demolition Man, Last Action Hero. Hollywood has this obsession with poking fun at the dynamic of entertainer and audience. But when there's something to be actually said, it never dunks it. It chooses to avoid it because at the end, and I'm, I have no disillusionment about this. It comes, hey, it's entertainment. Let's not buzzkill this thing with real statements. It's a popcorn movie dressed up for something else. That's fine. Um... But it's just like, it's funny to me that it's so like self-fulfilling as a prophecy. And it also, uh, it, it just seems so on the nose the way that they chose to digress from the book. It just mm -hmm. seems like they really, really wanted to, to smack home all the stuff that like the world building that it does, what the purpose. So I understand when Stephen King is like, I was young and angry because yeah, if you take this shit seriously, like I'm doing right now, you come off as pretty like angry and a little, little bit green uh, about this stuff because it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it. Uh, the audience is the enemy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's true that when you, they like take that heart out of the project, he can't help but like look at that and go like, like, it's not that you like ruined my thing. I'm kind of fine with that. Stephen King is actually allows his people, allows adaptations to do kind of whatever they want in a lot of cases. But when it's like, do you have to shit on my heart though? <laughs> or like the only thing it impulse. was about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's interesting to yeah. me. It's like, it's, it's a little different from, I think it's closer to the shining in terms of like why he disliked it as opposed to, you know, just like, Oh, they, he's like, they, you intentionally changed it to the opposite. I don't like that. Yeah, Obviously I'm not going to like, like that. that in principle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once again, if we're going to be real here, he's still taking that money. <laughs> I mean, it, this movie wants so badly to be Terminator that it includes the line. Hey, I'll Killian, I'll be back. God, it's like it's so good. money again, please. <laughs> yeah. There's so many good lines in this too, that are just so bad mm -hmm. that this is why I love this movie. And yet uh, it's funny that as a child, the tone being so different, it still retains the core of being about what we've discovered. King's main jam is, which is a perversion of the things that Americans value and see as innocuous. And in this case, it's television. As the horror. We, yeah, we, exactly. uh, the horror behind 
like they say in the movie, we wean our kids on television. We love television. This is the monologue where I explain what the movie is about. <laughs> I want to talk. I want to just talk about my favorite line. I want to just do se- sequence of lines. If we're ready, or I would round out it with just like favorite moments and ridiculous sequences because I have some of those as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I do want to say that, uh, the, my director brain, uh, was to, I just wanted to hear, uh, like there's a, there's kind of a decision in this movie that really shows how powerful film can be in terms of like, uh, manipulating your perception. And one of that, one of those things is I took delight in realizing how they treated uh, Jesse Ventura in this movie. Cause he's like legitimately a uh, Superman. Like he's six, five and like 300 pounds. And he's called captain shit. freedom. Right. In this, he's captain freedom. Uh, so he was in uh predator and also with Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. who's considerably sh- shorter than he is. Uh, and John McTiernan shot that movie using inclines and camera, uh, and probably boxes, you know, because that's sometimes you can get away with just putting someone on a box. Sometimes he can't, uh, he wanted to make them look equal of equal stature because he didn't want Arnold to stand next to uh, Jesse Ventura and look like a dwarf, you know, like, mm-hmm. so what ha- what happened is uh, he was, he wait, was he's able waiting to pull for that off. Twins to bust that move out. Right. Uh, so John McTiernan, excellent job. Uh, just, you never even think about it. Right. This director did the exact opposite because he wanted to make, he just showed it as it was. Maybe it was lazy filmmaking. I don't think so. I think the whole point he liked was, he was to bigger, make yeah. Jesse Ventura's enormous comparison in comparison to Schwarzenegger. Um, I just thought that that was kind of a cool little way in which they do that. I mean, we know that movies do that, but the way in which they did in this movie where you have a lot of running around and you have actual fighting, uh, you have to use doubles on all all the shots. Like Tom, yeah. Tom Cruise is famously the size of a button or thimble and we do Mm -hmm. all sorts of tricks to blow him up. Speaking of Tom Cruise, uh, the, you know, how Arnold's run in the beginning of this movie where he's like, Cruise-ish. he just books it. Yeah. It's, it's like, he's really good at running. Oh, like it's okay. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is like, good at running too. Yeah. He looks good. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you yeah, watch it, like live. that guy runs. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I just, I always thought Schwarzenegger, cause you never see him like outright uh, running. You know, Tom Cruise holds an actual record for the longest continuous running shot. From War oh, of the Worlds. that Worlds. makes sense. Yeah. That yeah. War of the Worlds opener where it's a montage Many times we've shot like a him. crane shot of yeah. him running. Oh, I know which one it is. Yeah. It's Mission Impossible where he's running no, on no, the No, no, it's War of the, the Worlds. War of the Worlds. Oh, it's War of the Worlds. Because there's How a montage that? where the background keeps there's fading and changing. Water. But to get the shot, yeah. he just ran and ran and ran. Uh, leave it to Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, loves those wonders. <laughs> anywho. Anywho. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's enough about that. I just want to point that out, that there's... Sometimes not making choices as directors plays into the playbook. So sure. Does uh, make you better. Does can make you right though. I'm uh, directing a sketch right wanted, now that takes place yeah. in a zoom call and everyone logs on and looks crappy, which I like. And then my DP meticulously sets up their shots to look as quote unquote good as possible. And I hate it. I'm like, that's not funny, dude. We're trying to do the opposite. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The yeah. just depends I, on your needs. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, 
I wanted to say one more thing about because we opened up with I opened up with capitalism a little bit. I just want to punctuate that point about the difference because it's fascinating both the novel and the movie decry capitalism, but specifically the movie doesn't make a villain out of the like the fact that the system creates like these lost impoverished remainders. Uh, we never talk about that. It's it's definitely all out for blood in terms of the active manipulators of the system. Uh, and both. Well, it's very loudly movie, saying governments that lie to their people are evil. Mm-hmm. It says that very much, but you're right. Yeah. It shies away They're from both saying all about corruption and the system being bad, but it doesn't but like the movie go into the streets and show people suffering because of systemic failures. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't be go fun. Out of, it wouldn't be fun. And I, yeah. that's, I guess that's just like both of my points kind of coming to, uh, to a head. Uh, I'm ready to do uh, fun, fun uh, quotes of my favorite cool. moments because that's what this kind of movie is about. Right? Let's do. Uh, let's alternate. He punches a guy in the nuts so hard that it lifts him up out of frame, and he says, "Give you a lift." <laughs> that was one of mine. I also got another one in the fight. Yeah, uh, go for it. This one's a back and forth. Uh, it's with Buzzsaw and Arnold, uh, who's a man with a chainsaw. As hands and Bussa says, the saws are a part of me. I'm gonna make a part of you. And then Arnold says, not a good line. That's all right. Keep it. Yep. <laughs> but the best part is then after Arnold says, that's all right. Keep it. He chainsaws him in the balls. Yep. And then very ball Buzzsaw has kill. my favorite quote, which is how you. S- like, it's not even my favorite because fuck this movie for doing this, but it's just really funny to see these two hulking men. Uh, as he's getting chainsawed in the balls, he falsettos and he goes, oh! and like, that's how it works. He yeah. goes, oh, and it's just like, oh, well, you're. It's movie, a getting just, kicked in the balls joke, but with yeah, a chainsaw. It's, it's literally cross the eyes, go, oh, and fall off the like the tree. <laughs> but branch, also imagine you your know? balls are just getting ripped apart like chipmunks diving into chipmunks a meatball. by a chainsaw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that Arnold, I don't like it per se, but there's a point where Arnold breaks into Amber's apartment, covers her mouth with his big meaty fist and says, don't make a sound. Do you understand? Who are you? Dude, you just said don't make a sound <laughs> you just, and you're covering your mouth. You're yelling it. <laughs> you're yelling it. Don't make a sound. Who are you? Explain yourself. Who are you? <laughs> uh, uh, we also get in Buzzsaw's kill uh, after the fact when he like uh, he reconvenes with Amber. She says, what happened to Buzzsaw? Ah, uh, he had to split. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At one point, he bluffs his way onto a plane without ever showing a ticket or his Lilu multipass or anything. Imagine this. Just imagine this. It's 2017, and you bluff your way onto a plane by just <laughs> killing time until the people in line behind you get impatient, and the TSA agent goes, all right, all right, just go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> it's just crazy. Like That's such a fantastical scene to me now. Yeah, yeah. My favorite, it's not really a line as much as just my like section of the movie, is that uh, I mentioned Idiocracy and Ow My Balls and mm-hmm. that, because they do the same thing where that when they're kind of availing you of the TV show, they also show some commercials for other shows. It's very and Cheddar Goblin from Mandy. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite 
shows. That's like a sleeper. I never hear people mention it. It's called Climbing for Dollars. Mm-hmm. And it's an ad for a also a games network show where a man climbs a rope and grabs dollars while vicious dogs try to kill him. It's just that that's the mo- that's That's the show. a different game show that's less popular, presumably. Yeah, it's less popular, but it's really good. I like I the uh, the plot hole that so this whole premise is based on the idea that if you win Running Man, you overcome your charges and you are freed and given a million dollars in a private island and shit. And again, Amber snoops a little and discovers that instead the evil government kills you anyway, then leaves your body with your dog tag on your neck with your real name on it in the game zone <laughs> at near the end of the level, so to speak. Literally as if they wanted someone to find out. It's like, it's like the government feels guilty, wants to get caught. There's just no way to have those three corpses like Hadid and Parker and whoever there with their dog tags on within the zone. That is the sanctioned play zone of the game itself. That is not a quote so much as a ridiculous plot hole. You got Mm -hmm. more? Uh, I just... This is just, it's not really as funny as it is just like perfect for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killian says at one point, uh, I'd like you to volunteer to appear on tomorrow's night for episode of uh, The Running Man. Uh, it's in the scene where he's like, uh, he's like trying to get him to like convince him that this is a good idea. And Ben Richards' response is literally like a si- second and a half of silence. It's like an attorney. And then he just goes, Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So like uh, there's a point where they're talking about the resistance and how they need to spread the footage that will bring down the government via satellite uplink. And he goes, uplink underground, uplink underground. If you guys don't shut up, I'm going to uplink your ass. You'll be underground. (laughs) Yeah. It's such an unwieldy. I'm going to uplink your ass. And then you'll after that, you'll be underground. (laughs) Steven Souza is, he is, uh, well known for that. Like, I think that that's yeah. like, he like turns it into a bit. How about because, a light? Well, the hothead, uh, Die Hard has those two where it's not really, they a are good not line. as sweaty though. They're, this is they're, the pinnacle. These are sweaty because he's trying for it. Uh, this is like judge dread. Also, Steven Souza. uh, this is that level where it's just like, yeah. Oh my, or, or any Arnold movie, because you say it in his voice. They like started right for it. Like if you remember the movie, uh, the eraser, eraser, mm-hmm, of I, course. Yeah. Where he goes like, uh, the sniper gun that can of, shoot so fast that it goes yeah, through yeah, everything based off a real life gun, <laughs> uh, <laughs> by the way. But like, yeah, he, uh, he kills a bunch of, uh, crocodiles and he says, your luggage, <laughs> <laughs> you are luggage. Um, Your luggage. A line, though, back and forth that I think is genuinely funny and I would put in a screenplay of mine is a villain arrives and Amber goes, Jesus Christ. And he goes, guess again. <laughs> because it's yeah, not Jesus it. Christ. It's Fireball. <laughs> it's Fireball. I love that they're all on Earth now. Uh, <laughs> um, just, they also uh, make a joke. a bunch of Arnold's. That's the same. This joke I I first came across in Sam and Max, the original comics, because uh, Sam would always ask Max the naked rabbit where he kept his badge and gun. And he'd say, you don't want to know that. But they do that joke here where the incriminating footage that's on the disc that I said was in the unlocked cabinet. There is a plot hole that is insane. But then they retcon it because somehow Amber has been kidnapped, 
They've changed her clothes. They've sent her down a vacuum right. tube and a rocket sled, and she's gone through all this shit, and she still has the incriminating footage on a USB drive. Like, she has it in her possession. And, right. But they do try to retcon it with, where did you hide that? It's none of your business. Assuming she, they mean that yes. the crucial information that saves the world was smuggled in her vagina. Yes. Yes. Good to know. Classic, classic movie joke. Yeah. Vagina's holding on to stuff. Yeah. And then my <laughs> final final note, uh, I think you basically already encapsulated this, but it is true. Like at the end, the crowd cheers because he murdered someone. Isn't that bad? Isn't society still fucked in exactly the same way it was at the beginning of the movie? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's it for me. Although I feel like we're forgetting something. Oh, no. Something. I did forget one thing, which is that this would make an amazing Disneyland or Universal Studios 4D show. Don't you think? Because Arnold, you, it's- Like you're the running man? You're the audience. No, no, no. You see, oh. you get the fly girls <laughs> yeah, dancing like, to Vangelis music. You get to watch clips on the big screens. And then the climax yeah. is Richard whatever- Actually, Ben Richards, actually, you know, an actor, a Disneyland stunt person comes down the aisle and bursts in and they do pyrotechnics on the stage oh, and yeah. they kill a stunt man who's uh, Richard Donner or whatever. <laughs> I can't think of anyone's name. Heck yeah. Damon Killian. I just think Dude, this would make Richard a good Donner. one of those. <laughs> Richard Donner, <laughs> filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Then I now, like that idea a lot. Now like, I'm really legitimately adamant. like with complete sincerity. Oh, absolutely! Awesome. Like the Westworld stunt show, like a running man like, stunt show swing, would kick ass. They should swing across the rafters and yeah. you know to do the whole thing. The resistance could like conscript you and take the audience yeah. hostage. Get at me, uh, Universal. Well, I mean, Universal who doesn't own this did not. Yeah, right. you're right. All right, get but at it me. It doesn't own everything. It can just buy. Warner the Brothers land that kind of thing. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, I don't know who actually owns it because I think it was, uh, it's production companies are all defunct. I don't know who actually owns it at this point. Um, but that would be fucking cool. <laughs> right. I think God. so. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, should we make the leap to our final. Let's do uh, it. I'm, section? I'm making my selection right now as we segue. So hit that mm -hmm. segue. Okay, well, uh, there's not really a segue because I guess the thing that Michael's working on, as you mentioned, that, I guess in that pause, uh, we you probably would have played it. Yeah, <laughs> to the stand. That's right. This is a uh, you know the section of the podcast that gets longer every time we do it because it's we just rank them. Uh, cause you, you, you goblins like that, I guess. <laughs> I don't even know if you do anymore. Uh, but yeah, we rank them. It's, we, this isn't a review show, but here we are. Yeah. I'll issue one correction. A lot of people mad that I assumed, well, I said very clearly, I don't know why I'm saying this. I feel weird saying it. It's probably not true. I just think there's an odd pattern. A lot of people coming to support Sam Rockwell. Saying just because he's played oh, a character who says the N-word over and over doesn't yep. mean he is racist. That's true. I have no proof about anything negative about Sam I mean, Rockwell. Of acting. course. It's acting. I get it. But you take jobs. I mean, it's a question. I, I see both points. I'm just saying I have nothing against Sam Rockwell. 
I, think I hope he gets just, roles um, where he doesn't have to say the N word. I think a lot of people just follow like, I think actors especially uh, get cues from, you know, productions because yeah. they're like only recently have we had like, have we really empowered the individuals, you know, like people who are displaying the roles or, you know, like writing the project or directing the project to right. really be like, I don't know, are we doing the right thing here? For the longest time, actors were just oh, this is okay because there's a group of people who in a room decided this is well, okay. And it's they the all scripted, okay to, who am I to... It's the scripted know, so line that. that I'm supposed to... My job is to read the script. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want people we to know. We all understand. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, top or bottom? And that killed enough time for me to make my decision. Well, okay. Uh, uh, um, uh, I already... I came... I'm not even going to allow the podcast to change my opinions. That's how, that's how confident I am. I had it locked and loaded before the podcast. Oh, before started. the podcast, I just want you, you know what it was. I like to make yeah. the decision in the moment in case your take changes my opinion. That's true. Um, Christine is the car one. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Christine is the car one. Yeah, I'm good. That's Let's do like it. Three episodes. You decide top <laughs> okay. or bottom. Okay. Top. Let's go top. Okay. Numero All right. uno. Shining. It's, it's a shining. Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, stand by me. Number two for me is Dr. Sleep. Number three is Stand by me. Uh, number three is Misery for me. Number four is Misery for me. Number four is Dr. Sleep. It's all right. There's up. that unit. That top four, four unit still inviolable. Yeah. All right. Mm, Starting unit, a new baby. opinion unit. Number five. Mm-hmm. The Mist. The Mist. The Mist. Number six. The Mist. I don't know if you know this one. It's the deep cut. Christine? It's the one about a car. The Running Man. (gasps) For me, number seven is The Running Man, right under Christine. Ooh, so we put it kind of close. This is the biggest digression we've had. I put Green Mile in the middle of the pack. You Mm -hmm. hated this movie, but I I put it in the middle pack because I think it's... It's fine. It's, 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 it's whatever. So this is where it's you, green this is where you slide Green Mile. But now people know, I think people who are invested in Running Man now know Running Man, for both of us, was roughly middle of the pack. Better than I expected middle it to, to be. Middle to upper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you go. Number eight, we're on, right? Mm-hmm. Thinner. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with Christine there. Okay. Next, number nine. So you're nine, putting Thinner a little higher. Dead Zone. I'm putting it. I like that one a lot more than I know you do. You do. Uh, I really didn't like it. Too long and boring. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, number 10 is it. And this, of course, is the TV series it, not the films, which we haven't covered yet. Mm-hmm. I put uh, The Dead Zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just found that one really slowly paced. Uh, number 11, Dreamcatcher. So much. <laughs> significantly higher. I thought it would forever be the bottom, but I have Dreamcatcher at 11. <laughs> this, this, uh, this journey has really surprised us. This is where I put thinner. So I really thought low of thinner. I thought thinner was, I just can't help that. Like it's I have to remind not myself well directed why I hated it. And it's that just directorially. Yeah. It's like, uh, very clumsily directed fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> yeah. It has a lot of like serious directing faux pas. I could see why you yeah. especially would hate it. All right. Number 12, yeah. Grimile. 
Dreamcatcher. So we kind of think the same thing. <laughs> I just have a there. weird SJW axe to grind against Green Mile. So I Fair put enough. it there for that reason. And bottom of the barrel, the one directed by the man himself, <laughs> Stephen King, Maximum Stephen Overdrive. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. I love that we are shining the best movie still. Maximum mm-hmm. Overdrive, the worst movie still. And. I love that we this guy's side on yeah. King when it comes to like the shining. Right. And I just think that that's funny is that it's a King podcast. He's the worst. Uh, he is right in terms of direction, which makes sense. Cause he's he listening directed. to this right now in a single tears rolling. And down his, his least favorite probably face. adaptation is our favorite adaptation. Uh, yeah. The I shining really pissed it. him off. Yeah. But. Uh, I, what did he think of Dr. Sleep? I forget. Did he like it? Oh, he loved Dr. Sleep. <laughs> I think that's my number. Oh, that's my strong number too. I love Dr. Sleep. He was definitely for it. I don't know if he loved it, but he's definitely a big fan. I'm a big uh, he fan. thought it did. It did a lot of justice to the story. Cool. Uh, well, I, yeah. I mean, that's 13. I like that the, the segments becoming more and more useless and like long and laborious. I want yeah, it I don't to know. be, we're going to have to, the plan was, the- that's the joke to me. See the joke is when we're doing episode a hundred and you're going number 55 is this movie. Who cares? Number 56. That's what I'm in it for. So you're saying, uh, so you're saying com- like the best comedy, the best bits are like SNL when they just like, just keep mm. doing the bit more like Cody Johnston stand up mm. fearlessness wouldn't, in the face of booze wouldn't be prudent. <laughs> well, not at this juncture. All right, let's get out of here, dude. We're making, <laughs> those are some old SNL references too. Those are, those are deep cuts. dude. <laughs> wouldn't be prudent. Yes. <laughs> Running right. man gonna. Yeah, mm. we're done. Mm. Sing us out, baby. Oh, let's say this though. Uh, I want to start saying this on our podcast and we'll probably say this for a while in case you missed it. We have a, uh, we've opened a merch store. All the proceeds of that merch store will go towards producing our next indie feature. So if you want to make a one-time purchase and get a sweet small beans shirt, check out all our fresh fly designs over at Mm. T public T E E public.com slash users slash small beans store, or, you know, Google around for the small beans store on T public. Yeah. And we haven't, um, done, I just want to take this moment as well. Cause we're, you know, jumping out. Are we plugging the, more stuff? We podcast. got more, we got more, bring it. No, no, no. This plug is just like, if you've stayed to the end here, you get the benefit of, uh, we haven't done a lot of, um, movie diaries recently on our Patreon for our feature, as you mentioned. Uh, but just a mini update, we're still doing it and, uh, we're very excited. Uh, we've just, uh, we haven't recorded a conversation with us. We've been I discussing to, things that aren't for public consumption, but, but we'll get back to yes, it. Yes. Yes. Uh, but, uh, the process has been very enjoyable. I love that you guys have been responding to us and talking to us and saying like what you like about like the fact that we're documenting uh, the pre-production cycle of, you know, a feature. And right now that's still very, it's still weird, but it's just, um, you know, uh, hopefully you keep enjoying that. So thank you all to our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon, please patronize us. 
Love you. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating. So make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.